welcome. It is the Ski Bomb Podcast, episode number 326. It is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, it's been a while. What's up? Been grinding away, man. I tell you, work has beat me down. Life's been beating me down. And I was thinking the other day, I was like, is life beating the skiing out of me? I don't think it is, but it no. feels that way sometimes. Feels that it's way. been it's been a rough start to the season for uh for me, us two here. It's just weather and people being sick. It's it's I know what they say about excuses, but it's just been tough for us. But you know, we're gonna we're excited for a couple a couple things coming down the road. It's everything's gonna be fine. It's gonna be all right. It's gonna be a great season. When we look back at this in like May, we're gonna be like, you know what? We made it happen. It was a good time. We got to follow up our uh, our interview. Last time we uh, we had this wonderful podcast, we had part one of our interview with our pal Sam Weintraub from Peak Rankings. We're finally going to give you that second half that you were looking for. I know it's been uh, it's been a Boom. hot minute, but it's here. Don't worry, we got you. Finally, finally. But thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. We're on the socials, Instagram, X, Facebook, YouTube, Untapped. You're at Ski Bump Podcast. Do you want to support the show? As you can tell, we need it. Patreon.com slash Ski Bump Podcast. We got some different levels there. You can get on. You can help us out. You can hook us up. We'd really appreciate that. We're trying to make a few things happen and... Being a patron would really get us pushed in the right direction. So please check it out. Patreon.com slash ski bump podcast. Got the shop. Got a few items on there. Ski bump podcast.com slash shop. You need some gear for Apre, for hanging out. Also, if you need stickers, it's sticker season. Mm, good Helmets, stickers. laptops, whatever you got. Ski. Send us an email. Ski bump podcast at gmail.com. We will hook you up. We'll send you some stickers. All you got to do, send us an email, let us know. Say, I want some stickers. Boom, you got them. We'll send them out to you. Boom. Also, you need some gear. You're still working out. You should still be working out. I know it's tough in January. No one wants to do anything. Just want to sit around. Always be working out. Always be you working out. You got fat over the holidays. You got to work out. I ate four stolens. I ate a couple bottles of eggnog. I A day after Christmas, I think I ate like 50 cookies. I just... I just went, went crazy. But you know what? You have After to come that, home, fat bastard. The key is you got to just go as hard as you can for a day or two. You know, it's like going Ball on out. a bender. You know, you got to just Ball excess deep. in moderation. You should just go crazy infrequently. And then when you do go crazy, you don't want to do it for a long time. Whether it's drinking, eating, cookies, whatever your thing is, whatever your vice is, go super hard for a tiny little window and get it out of your system. That's what I did. I don't think that really works with everything. You know, like... Some things lead to death. Doing like, I love meth. <laughs> I'm going to do as much meth as I can in one day. No, maybe not a good idea. Heroin. Even drinking. I don't know. You poll a bunch of people at AA. I, I would imagine they're saying, don't do the binging, but... Just, Excess just in moderation. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> regarding, I'm just saying it regarding cookies. I went to town. Was it the road to excess leads to the palace of wisdom? Was that Tennyson? Ah, yes, Tennyson. Lord Alfred Tennyson. See, look at I'm quoting freaking English lit. 
listen, you come here for skiing information. We give you just brilliance. We're just well-rounded. We're some Renaissance men here. Hey, back before the internet, I used to like peruse books and, and just pick out quotes like that. And that was one of them. Just to impress women at the bar, right? Yeah, I didn't have any women that would understand that, that I was trying to impress at the bar. <laughs> I prefer my girls really, yeah. really dumb. Yeah. They like, were did you reading. see the Kardashians? Like, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. he wouldn't know anything about tennis. Tennis? <laughs> Is that tennis? Tennis? Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, that was a That should be on like a t shirt or something. That's a really good one. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, if you're still getting, if you're still grinding, if you're still working out, I was doing great. I was like banging out a couple of days of workouts in a row. And then all of a sudden I ran into a literal shitstorm this week. I'm not going into details, but think about the worst COVID thing possible. Season, COVID season, just Dude, stomach virus season. You had it all. I've been getting blasted. December, it started in November, November, December. I've been getting hit with everything. Damn. COVID, other stuff. Are you trying stomach. to hide out with your mask in your basement? And it's still not working. I should I shouldn't leave this basement. This is basement where, where happy things happen. So I should stay down here. It's really the, the you gotta freak your story. wife out. You gotta start putting up like freaking plastic on everything. She'd be like, "What are you doing?" Like I'm making my own bubble. Like uh, what's his name in uh, Better Call Saul, the brother? Oh, that was Just get great. rid of electricity and man, that was crazy. Comes in, is like pulling wires out of the wall. Like, damn, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. but if you're still grinding. You know what you need? You need some gear. New Year. Get some fresh yeah. threads. How about go to 10,000? They got some great stuff. I'm a big fan. 10,000.cc. Athlete-led design. Their whole thing is iron sharpens iron. They want stuff for the best. Their motto, better than yesterday. Yesterday, you were good. Today, a little better. The heart of 10,000 is the idea of pursuit in business, fitness, life, and skiing. They believe in moving forward with a quiet dedication to constant improvement and to becoming just a bit better than you were yesterday. Go to their site, 10,000.cc. Use the code bschneider 15 B-S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R-1-5, 15% off. Get some cool gear. I had a pair of their interval pants somewhere. I don't think they're here anymore, but they're my favorite pair of joggers they absolutely are they're super comfortable got some solid zipper pockets i'd recommend them but who am i who am i besides one <laughs> of your, you? fav- your favorite podcast co-host check it out 10,000.cc enough of that nonsense mario let's kick it off where we always do it's time for our pray today i see you got some fizzing going on how about that sound? So that was creamy and delicious. I found this one. Uh, I love this brand. I love this uh, beer, and I like the. Uh, I like this stout. It's a stout, and it is cold forty-five. Oh, the left hand Irish stout on nitro, dry Irish stout. Nitro and dry Irish stout on nitro. Wow, that's a bold call. Yeah, so I like I love the left hand milk stout. So I was That's in the store, one. and I was like, you know, left hand, and I saw this one next to the to the to the milk stout. I'm like, let me try it. Why not? 
Life is I know, short, people right? People complain about lactose and lactose intolerant. I don't know my lactose. I don't think I'm lactose intolerant, but I'm like get lactarded. Come on, lactarded. I want I want more milks. I want I want fresh <laughs> milks. You gotta have milks. <laughs> extra milk stout for me. <laughs> Breast milk stout. How about that? <laughs> Why not? Let's get weird. They're putting enough crap in beer these days. Breast milk stout. Left breast milk stout. How about that one? I don't know if the marketing's good on that. Left hand is a little better. <laughs> Left breast. Right breast. Whatever you got. Two breasts. All right. I'm gonna, here's the, here's the, the try. Mm, that's very good. Um, not sharp, very mild, very smooth. Um, I'm trying to think of how it's different than the, the left-hand milk stout. It's uh, not as creamy, not as milky. Uh, mm. <laughs> the other one's a little bit creamy. And this is a dry eye stout. It does taste a little, little drier, a little um, like a dry mouthfeel. But it's got a crisp, uh, crisp flavor. Nice stout, not anything overpowering. Uh, I like this. This is a, uh, I'd give this out of a 10. I'd give this a hard bum eight. A hard bum eight? Yeah, hard bum Damn. eight. This is pretty good. I don't know if I could drink this every day, but this is a, hey, we in the mood for it? This one hits a, hits a spot. Every damn day. Mm, 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 mm. That's not bad. So what would you compare that? Like, is there another, like, was there any other beer that you can think of that's similar to that? Or is it unique and amazing in some special way? You know, I, I don't drink a lot of stouts. I could compare it to a Guinness, very similar to a Guinness, but it has definitely different characteristics. I wouldn't say different flavor, like same similar flavor profile. It's just, it's definitely not as creamy as like the left-hand milk stout that I've, that we've all grown to love. Yeah. I like the nitro. The nitro usually adds a little bit of a creaminess to, to this, but yeah, it has a nice malty. So they describe this as a super smooth, rich roasted malt and notes of chocolate. Everybody says chocolate and stouts and I'm like, I get it, but it's a stretch. It's not like you're drinking a chocolate bar. It's more like cocoa than chocolate yeah right i would say cocoa. Like, if you just take cocoa powder and just ate it you're like wow this is not a hershey bar it's not what it tastes like at all right chocolate i'm not getting as much coffee there's a little hint of it uh this one describes it as a hint of graham cracker and i'm like that's a stretch it could be my palate but some of the things tastes- that they put in for these tasting notes it's like come on man yeah are, are you serious about this it's like in Sideways. Like Sideways has one of the best when doing the wine tasting in there. When he's like yeah. hints of, of strawberries and a nutty evening cheese. Yeah. <laughs> tennis balls. That's the other one. Tennis balls. Tennis balls. Yeah. Tennis ball. Like what? Freshly opened tennis balls. The this one's, uh, <laughs> it's actually not that uh that alcoholic. It's only four point three percent. Got an eighty six ranking on uh on beer advocate, which isn't bad. That's pretty strong. Oh, like, um, like an 86 out of 100? Yeah. Nice. 86 out of 100 is, uh, you know, people ranking. Yeah, so it's not bad. It's a, got a nice dry finish to it. So this is, it's a stout that you probably drink more than a few of and be okay with. 
I like my Guinness and I'll have my Guinness nights where I drink a few of them. Uh, this is right up there with it. I'd say this is pretty strong, strong showing left-hand milk stout. I think I drink a few of those and then I'm kind of like done kind of tapped out. So yeah. I don't know. It's pretty good. Wow. Interesting pick. I like that. Yeah. That was where I got, I went, um, to total wine and that's where I got this one when I also picked up the magnify brewing, uh, on that same trip. So you. I got them lined up. I got all special ones lined up for the next few weeks. I like that. That's, that's the way <laughs> to go. You know, like we prepare for these things. This isn't all just seat of our pants. Like yeah, some may think. Planning. Planning. <laughs> all right. What do you got? I'm a, I went a totally different direction than you did. So like I was mentioning, I, I had the stomach thing. It was like 24 hours of just misery. And oh. when you got a stomach thing. You got a little mucinix and vodka or something? What's that? <laughs> a little mucinix and vodka mix. Well, I was I was trying to think to myself, I'm like, what could I mix with um what the hell's the stuff you give kids that they're like, oh now now it's it was a kid's drink and now all of a sudden it's become oh, a Pedialyte. Pedialyte. Like, hey, you know what? Are you really hammered? Like, hey, have some Pedialyte too. Like, why not? I was like, what kind I'm of mix? They don't carry it in bars now. Uh, yeah, they they have bars now. Hilarious. Like we, awesome. we've just we've just gotten I don't know if that's good or bad. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's a good thing. It sounds insane. <laughs> but when you got a stomach thing, the beverage of choice is always ginger ale. Because ginger is good for your belly, makes you feel okay. Oh yeah. So I got uh, I got Zevia ginger ale. You ever had that? Mm. No. It's basically it uh, nice and hot and spicy. It's like a zero calorie. Oh, I've seen that in the store. Stevia. Okay. Ah, Stevia. It's not terrible. Um, That said, the night where I was like at maximum sickness, I felt the Stevia just almost like coating my mouth. And I just wanted to brush my gross ass teeth. Uh, It was just a... uh, I don't even want to tell you how it went that night. Like it's... What's the worst possible thing that could happen to you when you're sleeping? That's what happened. Poopalicious, pukalicious, or Just, all of the above. I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow your, your mind, your creativity, your imagination right. to run wild there. But run it wild. Was, it was the worst possible night for a grown ass man to have. I'll tell you that. Damn. By himself, I guess. Sleep in the bathtub next time. That's uh, that. That would have been a good idea. But anyway, <laughs> so it was, it was only 24 hours of hell. I did take a three and a half hour nap. And nice. I don't think I've taken a three and a half hour nap since I was a kid. So hmm. from 1130 to like three, I was asleep on the couch. Just, I wish I could take one of those every day. Goddamn. I know. I'm like 11, like just be able to get rid of the 11 to two o'clock. Oh, like that's not the worst time of the day. Perfect. The worst Even time 11 to one, I'll take. Oh, yeah. This two hour siesta. Like yeah. I would be all for that. But anyway. So, yeah. So now I'm back on the mend. So I got a little Zevia. And you know what? I can't let you guys down. Podcast. I had to mix a little bit of the old high risk. High risk. Boom. Jesus. High West whiskey. Double rye. <laughs> high risk. I was trying to say high West rye. Double rye. But yeah. High risk. Nice. So we're calling it now. That's a double risk. rye. All right. Not just one rye. One rye is not nearly enough. Got yeah. Double rye. Which. Oh, it's better too. Yeah, this is actually from the good folks at Ski Utah. We're kind enough nice. at the events they were throwing this year to give these little bottles away, little 375 millis. 
of the High West Double Rye. And I like drinking nice. it straight, but you know what? Because of the occasion and the necessity, we're having it with a little bit of Zevia ginger ale. So All right. you need like a little that. something to get you through some uh, some tummy troubles. It's got my seal of approval. That's good. Seal of approval. Seal of approval. Yeah, at what point we can just start mixing just crazy shit? Like, you got Starbucks has like a fucking unicorn, like mocha latte, whatever the hell that thing is. It's like, what is it, 8 billion calories and it's like turns <laughs> colors and shit. Like, it, where does it stop? Like, I can't don't know. It won't stop, man. Just can't stop. We're just going to be drinking crazy cocktails. I think I could almost see, you know, where they're like Jurassic Park, right? You know, they got the amber. They got the DNA. They made dinosaurs. There's yeah. going to be a point where they're going to do that specifically to get different flavors to make different drinks. Oh, can you imagine like a prehistoric fruit drink? People are like, oh, I'm going to have that, you know, prehistoric uh, whatever the plant is and just kind of. What about some freaking Triceratops bone broth? Boom. Triceratops bone broth. T-Rex bone broth. T-Rex chili. That's what I want you to ain't, have. You're not alpha enough. Are you Are you drinking T-Rex bone broth? No. You try to drink that every day. IV it. Can you imagine if you were a caveman back then, you got your hands on a T-Rex and you made some chili, like with spices and shit. People were like, I don't know. This guy's like, he's like a superhuman. I'm pretty sure cavemen didn't exist during the dinosaurs, but we're going to play the game. Imagine hey, you- I saw Land of the Lost, man. <laughs> it, it all happened. Imagine you just like getting back to your cave, just like dragging a triceratops with you. Like, what the fuck is that? Fuck is that, man? Yo, man, we're eating for a while. Yeah. You got like the, Yo, the, guy, the guy Fieri of caveman like pulls in. He's like, we're going to make some chili, bro. That's right. Making chili. We're going to make some freaking um, jerky. Tater, some- tater tots with this thing. It's going to be amazing. T-Rex jerky. We were like, for months, you'd be eating T-Rex. Guy Fieri is yeah. a caveman cooking dinosaurs that could be a tv show i'd watch that how much meat was on a dinosaur like a t-rex had to be gigantic right yeah we want those big dopey plant eaters because they were like the biggest Uh, dinosaurs like argentinosaurus i was just reading to my son about dinosaurs before bed so i got a couple of them fresh in my mind like Uh. uh, argentinosaurus was like the biggest dinosaur and I forget that was it uh, Argamontosaurus or something. He had the longest neck. His neck was longer than his whole body. Damn. Like his neck was the same size as his body and tail. So like this guy didn't even have to walk. He just would kind of like swing his giant ass neck around and just go to the next tree. It's nice. like, like living at a buffet pretty much. To say T-Rex was about 15,000 pounds. Damn. How big is a steer? Steers are like what? Beef cow. Up to a thousand, maybe? Like a real, no, way less than that, actually. 1,300 pounds, they're saying. 1,300. Wow. They're saying average cow across all breeds, about 1,390 pounds. Damn. So, it's like eight times bigger. Man, that's a lot of food. And if this thing was bigger than that, you literally feed your whole village on that. Yeah. We don't really eat. We don't really eat meat-eating animals, though. So, yes, yeah, so you probably want a big plant eater. You know what's amazing, though? I typed in, you know, beef cow size, right, just to get the – and it pops up the size. <laughs> so the Randy's one that shows up, the Baconator? 
No, it's being reported by Beef Magazine. There's a magazine dedicated to beef. Now this is all about industry beef. They talk about the breeds and they, they have cows on the picture. I'm like, holy crap. Oh, magazine. This is so the Arge- deep dive that you get on the internet. There you go. So Argentinosaurus, he weighed between 65 and 80 tons. Damn. Wait, that's 160,000 pounds. 176. Yeah, 176,000 pounds. Damn. Damn, that's eaten for like three years. Think about like the they like a churrascaria with Argentinosaurus. So average Eight yearly tons. meat consumption of a human, they're saying about fifty six pounds of beef yearly. <laughs> you better so. get a might want to get a second chest freezer. <laughs> oh yeah, you're getting like you're giving food away. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of things eaten, people and animals eating off of that. Damn, it's the way to go. I could see hmm. us doing that in the future, like just bringing back dinosaurs just to just eat food. It's like the opposite of Jurassic Park. It's just just oh. eat them. Jur- Jurassic um, buffet, buffet, Jurassic Farm. Jurassic so bring buffet. Them back to- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, I'm not against that at all. That'd be crazy. There that and buffalo. Can you imagine making a buffalo like ten times the size that it is today? Delicious. It'd be terrifying and delicious at the same terrifying time. Terrifying and delicious. Oh, they're terrifying. I love buffalo, but they're terrifying. I would never want to come face to face with one. Yeah, right. They look so sweet and gentle, but they're fucking huge. They will mess your shit up. Yeah. I like that about them. They look cute and cuddly, and then they'll mess you up. Stealth. I, they look kind of dopey a little bit. Yeah. I see them chewing the like, derp. And they're looking at you like, just come a little closer, motherfucker. You're almost in my range. It's like a really, let's say, yeah, it's like having like a black belt in like jujitsu and karate, and you're like really, really nice to people. People take advantage of you, and then you're just like, wrong day, brother. Wrong day, wrong time, wrong person. And just, you just right. destroyed. You snap. Them. Yeah. Just in pieces. Mm. There you I go. Buffalo. They're tasty they too. They are. Let's go to ski news. So I'm sure just about everyone has heard about this, but there was a very serious fatal avalanche at Palisades Tahoe just a couple days ago, Mm. saying that one person was killed and three others were injured as a result of an avalanche that hit the Lake Tahoe area on Wednesday morning. Placer County Sheriff's Office spokesperson David Smith told USA Today that search efforts had concluded after officials were forced to close Palisades Tahoe to search for victims and survivors. The Sheriff's Office identified the person killed as Kenneth Kidd, 66, a resident of Point Reyes and Truckee, which is just north of Palisades Tahoe. According to an earlier statement issued by the resort, Kidd sustained fatal injuries from the incident and was pronounced deceased by Tahoe Forest Hospital. Three other skiers sustained non-life-threatening injuries, according to the resort. Death Wednesday was the first U.S. avalanche fatality of the season, according to Colorado Avalanche Information Center, which monitors avalanches nationwide. The avalanche was first reported about 9.30 a.m. Wednesday at Palisades Tahoe. The slide occurred on steep slopes in the GS Gully area, according to the social media post by Palisades Tahoe. Local fire department responded to the resort 
for word of an avalanche in the ski area, the Post stated. Multiple agencies in the area began to pool resources to assist Palisade Ski Patrol, who confirmed that an avalanche had occurred in the GS Gully area to the skier's right of the KT-22 chairlift. Over 100 Palisade Tahoe personnel and members of the public assisted first responders with the search and rescue operation. Some of the tools used in Wednesday's search included avalanche transceivers, probes, RICO rescue system technology, and avalanche rescue dog teams. The statement read. The entire Palisades Tahoe team, including all the first responders, extend their deepest sympathies to the family and friends of those involved in the incident, according to Palisades Tahoe. So what sucks the most about this, it sucks the most is that this is like an inbound avalanche. Like that's the thing that's the most scary about it. Because, you know, so often we think, what's that? It was pretty big too. That was it was really big, yeah. Now I don't know how much snow they got exactly in the uh, the the day or so before, but you know it's it it's really just one of those warnings to skiers that you know this is super dangerous, and we're always you know wanting powder days, wanting big powder. But we have to remember that, you know, when it snows, like this is possible, no matter if you, this is you, nature. May, you, may, you may think you're safe in the resort, but nature doesn't know it's a resort. Nature knows cliff. Nature knows. It doesn't, it's not going to measure the snowpack for you. If the snow is heavy on top, it's going to slide and inbound, yep. out of bounds. It doesn't matter. So again, it's, there, there's so many warnings we get. Every year, there's always something to go up. Oh, well, I'll remember that next season. I'll remember to do that. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate that it led to a fatality. It's, it's just another thing to, to get you to think about and almost learn from the mistakes of others. Um, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, we don't know the details about what kind of situation he got himself in. Did he have any sort of gear? I mean, I'm assuming he didn't have any. Probe Probably not. They were in bounds, right? Well, probe wouldn't matter. I mean, he didn't have a receiver on him to to put out a signal because, again, you think you're in bounds, you're safe, no, nothing's going to happen to you. Um, but now I got to say, it is recommended. Like we we were skiing with our buddy Nick the one time, and I think it was Whistler, and he was like, "Yeah, we're probably going to be in bounds, but just keep your transceiver on all the time. Why not? If you, if you have it, like, what's there's no harm in having it on." I mean, it can it can only help. Right. And again, too, say you're not in the in the slide, but someone yeah. else is, and you have your receiver. You can you can help out. So it's right. it's always good to have on whenever there's any sort of powder day. So it's and he had a good point. He's like, you have it. It's not going to wear the battery out. You know, kill it. You, you can just run it all day. So why not? Well, yeah, you got to use it. Yeah, hundred percent. Already wearing it. Just put it on, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's crazy too because we were just talking about. The last podcast, which you know was a, a bit a bit ago, but we were talking about that buried documentary about Alpine Meadows, which is yeah. you know right next door, now connected to Palisades Tahoe, and uh, yeah, that area. There's there's just those certain spots that have that certain pitch, and when the right conditions show mm. up, it makes it you know bad for avalanches. So terrible, awful, unfortunate, but you know something that. You just have to make sure we always keep in mind. 
you know, wherever you're at, if you're in an area that's got a big snow dump and has these a certain prone to avalanche areas, you know, bring your gear, wear your receiver, you know, it, it might save your life. Yeah. Man, so, you know, that was a great day turned bad. Speaking of another great day turned bad, father-daughter was injured in a hit-and-run crash with a ski biker at a Colorado resort, which was Keystone Resort. A father and daughter were skiing, and they were injured when a man riding a ski bike, which I've seen a lot of these lately. I don't know, this is the year of ski bikes, because I've seen a lot of stuff on Instagram and a lot of video and stuff, and they look like fun as shit and cool. But I guess they were skiing. A ski biker crashed into them and then fled the scene, uh, according to Summit County Sheriff's Office. Hit and run crash occurred at the bottom of Bergman Bowl near the intersection of Blackjack and Blackjack and Prospector ski trails around 1230 when a man on a ski bike came up behind the father and daughter while they were exiting Blackjack, colliding with the daughter and then the father. So they must have been just flying. I will go on the record and say I am anti ski bike 100%. Fuck those things. You know what those yeah, things remind me of? It's like need a it's, special place. Yeah, exactly. Your your backyard. Like keep those in your backyard. Go like those should not be anywhere near skiers and borders. Think about this is the way I think yeah. about those things. Imagine you had like a 69 Camaro, like an original 69 Camaro and you're like, "You know what?" I'm going to put a new, a brand new LS4 crate motor, thousand horsepower into my car. Nice. I got a 69 Camaro with a thousand horsepower, but I have shitty 1969 brakes and I have a shitty 1969 suspension and I'm going to go drive as fast as I can and then try to stop and turn. You're, 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 you're absolutely fucking yourself. This is exactly what those stupid ski bikes are. How can you, you can't control those things like you control skis and snowboards. Oh, you can't stop, you can't can't can't. turn. You don't have nearly the control that you would have like you would if you were, if you were skiing or boarding. So that makes them extremely. Guide them down and that's it. That's it. They should maybe dedicate one trail. Like we're going to call this one. This is like Thunderdome. Thunderdome trail. You can have your ski bike here. If you want to ski and board also like have at it, but to have those all over the mountain, I can't believe that Keystone would even do that as the kind of place that's very family friendly. And like, that yeah. seems to be just, comp- and I know all these resorts are trying to find more ways to make money and get more things, more ways for people to get on the slopes. But those are the absolute wrong thing to have. What would be awesome. Like you said, like I was thinking the same thing, like why not have a separate area of the mountain, have all your ski bikes on, have your snow blades, have your monoski they could all go in those areas like that's kind of cool that's like you said thunderdome that's like special if you want to come up with your own invention go ride it in that little area that's all fine like an island of like misfit snow people like just shove them all into one section and just go do whatever you want to do that's right and then leave the skiing and the boarding to the people that know what they're doing that can't stop well because that's just it right so you need to be able to to stop and avoid the people in front of you because the downhill skier has right away. You're responsible for being safe and not putting them in harm. Well, if you can't do that on a ski bike, why why are they letting them on the mountain, right? Yeah. And like the father was critically injured. Do you know the trauma you've done to that family? Like just because yeah. you're a 
you're a jerk off on a ski bike. Like that shit yeah. pisses me off so much. And then of course, of course, the asshole fucking fled the scene. I mean, it's similar that, to that, yeah. you know, that that story we talked about last year. I forget which resort in Colorado it was where, you know, like the the famous ski instructor died, and guy fled the scene. And then there's somehow he got. And then off. there's the Gwyneth Paltrow thing, which we all know how that ha- ha- turned out. There's gonna be a yeah. a play on that, right? <sighs> I think there is an off Broadway play. Yeah. So they're saying it's illegal to leave a scene of a ski crash that causes an injury without giving a name and a current address to the resort employee or ski patrol member unless the person is seeking help from someone who is injured. So it broke the law by just fleeing. They were probably in the wrong because, you know, they were the other people were downhill and they crashed into them. So, you know, it's funny how people flee and think, I'm going to get out of here and nobody's ever going to find me. It's like, you know how much like, technology we have these days like they're gonna find you and you just yeah. make it worse on yourself so uh if you're listening to this podcast uh you're dick and you should turn yourself in that's all i'm saying <laughs> i don't think any ski bikers listen to this podcast or at least i hope they don't they do that ski biker gangs like with, with jackets and shit like that i believe Passes. that's the the prequel to sons of anarchy coming out they started yeah. a ski bike gang <laughs> That's right. Sons of uh, Snow Anarchy. I don't know. Whatever they got. Sons of Uller. What do they run? You think they run snow guns instead of real guns? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Crow running snow guns. <laughs> Sam Snow. Yo, man, I got, I, I got your. Uh, I got your. I got your. Your guns right here. How about, how much <laughs> you gonna pay? <laughs> how much is the output on those? So these these are the the high output ones. They're gonna cost you more. <laughs> Yeah, very stupid concept, but for a stupid, stupid thing to happen. Yeah. Well, hopefully they get them. Again, (laughs) how much shit are you going to get if you go to jail and people ask, like, oh, you're a ski biker? Yeah. (laughs) Come on. Come on. You're my date now. Like, you're not going to get any respect. Anything that happens to that snow biker, if and hopefully when he goes to prison, will be deserved, well deserved. Damn, it's gonna be like Otto all over again. Yeah, it's gonna be like Oz. Oh my God, horrible. Uh, or Otto, but yes. <laughs> Bad news. Oz. Oz, I was a ski biker. Now I'm in jail. I'm doing hard time. Be like the scared straight. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they'll find him. Hopefully they got him by now. Yeah. So another thing happening out in Colorado, new 911 technology could make it easier to find injured and lost backcountry skiers. Mm. The new technology to enhance information flowing into the 911 dispatch center could help the Pitkin County Sheriff's Office break a trail for other agencies that are juggling calls, texts, and videos coming from people lost in the backcountry or injured while skiing. The sheriff's office will install a mapping technology that is intended to consolidate and prioritize the incoming information, kind of one-stop shopping for the dispatchers, said Brent Loeb, 911 division chief for the department. With all the new 911 technology, we're getting video feeds. We're getting text to 911. We're getting input from satellite devices. We're getting satellite calls, all kinds of different stuff. So right now, there's not a real good solution that consolidates everything that makes it easy for our dispatchers to see. There's technology by a company called Hexagon, which is a global software company based in Sweden, 
which is designed to put all the information on one map in one place for dispatchers. Hmm. So dispatchers now track information streaming in on different screens. Loeb said the new mapping system will allow dispatchers to funnel everything into one stream that includes a table of all incoming calls and information about where first responders are sent. The sheriff's office expects to go live with this system in the first quarter of this year. This will be the first time the technology has been deployed in an area with ski resorts, said Ben Ernst, vice president and general manager of Hexagon Safety Infrastructure and Geospatial Division. Hexagon noted in its announcement of the partnership with the sheriff's office that Pitkin County, home to the resort town of Aspen and four major ski areas, attracts about 1.5 million tourists a year. The company said the upgrades to the county's computer-aided dispatch system will improve emergency response capabilities during such events as the X Games and music festivals. The tech Mm, is a digital map that allows the call takers and dispatchers to immediately see the origination of the calls for the service. And this is actually really cool. In a place that is such a draw for tourists, there might be a lot of people who call 911 who are unfamiliar with the area and don't know where they are. So to be able to ID their location through technology is just so critical in terms of getting assets sent to them as quickly as possible. This seems like a really cool use of the technology. You know, I, I know it's easy to look at and be like, well, now it's going to make people even lazier because we're not going to have to think about where they're like, just someone come help me. I'm just, I'm just wherever. But the point is, again, if you're not a local and you're maybe you're doing, you're doing everything right and then something happens and you break your ankle, you, you know, you fall into a bad situation. This is, yeah. this seems like a really nice tech, a good use of the technology to, to assist people and to prevent unnecessary fatalities. Yeah, it seems pretty cool also because um, it seems to aggregate everything coming in. So let's say there's five people calling in. Well, they're not really five separate incidents. It's one incident. So they could actually put it together and say, hey, send somebody for this incident that all these people are reporting, which is kind of nice. Rather than have like people trying to dispatch five different sets of you know, first responders, they could just say, look, send them all to this one area. It's all the same call. It's a big yeah, same origination point. We can yeah. geolocate it based on that information. That's right. Like look, look at the case of an avalanche, right? You get five people call, Hey, there's a big avalanche. Well, we know it's one event. Let's send everybody there. That's kind of triangulate cool. all the, uh, where all the information comes from. And you can really narrow down the, where the, the people will be located. I never thought that like 911 there is getting video from people like, I guess that happens, right? Like, hey, there's... can you FaceTime nine one one? Is that possible? I, I don't. I didn't think you could do that. Like, what do you do? Like, they must get so many dick pics. What do you think? Nine one one, nine one one is like, oh, come on, you got me again. I'm sending somebody to the house. I'm gonna arrest you now, bastard. Yeah. <laughs> there's got to be a clown out there. Probably if you're on a ski bike, you're sending dick pics to 911. That's about I mean, it. Probably. That's the most likely demographic of dick pic senders. 911 is ski bike. I'm a betting man. I'm thinking the over is that you're sending. <laughs> you're you're a ski biker. Just yeah. saying. Quite possible. Um, all right. Next up, we got some fun stuff we're getting into. So uh, we have Connor Nash Traveler came up with their rankings of best ski resorts in the U.S. and Canada. So this is. 2023 Reader's Choice Awards. So readers wrote in and they decided to, you know, 
gather all that information. And they're now, saying Condé Nast also has very has a certain criteria. Yeah. Are there readers who were part who created this list? So they're saying, yeah, I didn't you know the criteria? Well, the criteria here. It just says that these resorts were picked by our readers as the best in North America for their trails, lifts, and apres ski spots. Ah, okay. Whether you're a mogul expert, a terrain park shredder, or a novice still mastering blue runs, these ski resorts ticked all your boxes. Huh. Very cool. So it's the readers, I know. The readers of Condé Nast, what they would Yeah. Be. Exactly. Not just random people readers of Condé Nast. So according to these readers, they're saying, in summary, before we get into the list, they're saying Colorado resorts once again dominated the list of U.S. resorts this year with three of the four mountains, Aspen, Snowmass, making up the top 10. Uh, but East Coast made a bold statement with 10 resorts in the top 40. And in an age of resort conglomerates, a handful of indie resorts stood out for their homegrown spirit and excellent terrain. So uh, from Aspen to Alberta, Big Sky to BC, these ski resorts were picked by the readers uh, as the best in North America for, as you said, trails, lifts, opry ski. So uh, let's get on to the list. I don't, I, I don't want to go through this whole list. It's a giant list. You got the top 10. Let's stick with I go the top to the top 10. 10. I zip right down to like, I don't like when they start it with the with the last to the first. Like they want you to read them all. I just want to skip. That's what I do. A page <laughs> through. I read it backwards. I start with one and I read back. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. top ten. One that was home to the Ski Bum Podcast where we all started this. Killington, Vermont. Top, top ten. 10. North America. So, top ten. Beast of the East, uh, as it's affectionately known. Um, yeah, they're saying massive size, uh, has some of the longest skiing in the East. Um, the superstar glacier, they put it in quotes because they just pound snow on that thing, uh, is something to be seen. Uh, great terrain park. So there's a lot to be said with that. One of the things they mention in here, the Pico Mount, which is right next to them is on the same lift pass. And it's a nice little, you know, change of pace so to speak uh and then they got a good nightlife and a lot of other stuff they talk about wobbly barn and they don't mes- mention the pickle barrel so i don't know they don't mention sushi yoshi sushi yoshi and their wings and which no yeah, longer has free apres ski wings thank you covid and this is why they toppled from the top three <laughs> thank you covid all right number nine don't know much about this marmot basin in alberta so saying Jasper, it's in Jasper National Park, which I've heard of definitely. And they're saying it has the highest ele- uh, base elevation of any major Canadian ski area, uh, over 1,700 acres of terrain, per- perfect for a progression, progression of beginner, intermediate, and advanced terrain. Two terrain parks. They got a lot, a lot to be said about that. Uh, Jasper National Park is supposed to be pretty damn nice. So got some pictures there. It looks pretty beautiful. It's got so, a sweet Fairmont. Um, so you know it's a good spot. Got a fair amount. That's pretty good. Number eight, number big eight. surprise. Big. Ooh, I'll let you take that one. It's a good one. Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. Ooh, where the Bretton Woods Accord happened in 1944, where 
the world moved to a dollar system. Whew. Part of the Omni Mount Washington Resort, Bretton Woods touts the largest ski area in New Hampshire, 464 acres of skiable terrain, including a terrain park and a summit elevation of 3,100 feet, all surrounded by the woods of the White Mountain National Forest. Readers Damn. love features, including the state's only eight-passenger gondola and stunning on-mountain Rosebrook Lodge with its killer views of the presidential range. Bonus points for Bretton Woods come with award-winning snowmaking and grooming. Shout out to our pal Ben, who's part of that team. A robust 62-mile Nordic trail network for skiing and snowshoeing. A year-round canopy tour with nine zip lines and a dedicated system of winter fat bike trails. Damn, fat bikes. Fat bikes. So that's a big one. Nice. Bretton Woods making the top 10. Number eight. New Hampshire. Live free or die, right? That's uh live free or die. Right. Back to you, Mario, with number seven. Uh, Sun Valley, Idaho. Number seven. So home of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Sun Valley is on my list. I still gotta get there. Yeah. Developed by a businessman and politician W. Avril Hireman. In the late 1930s, Sun Valley marked the first destination winter resort in the US. Uh, I believe that's where the first lift was too, right? They've been doing a lot of enhancements. They're saying good network of, of trails. And they're saying Sun Valley Inn. They got a lot of, a lot of cool things to see. Uh, there's a lot of history in Sun Valley. Warren like Miller's that. famous teardrop camper van or camper that he him and uh, Ward slept in. Yeah, that's where it started, right? Making his first film and painting the mural in the cafeteria. Amp. Boom. Very cool. I'll let you take the next one. We'll alternate. How about that? There we go. That big white out in British Columbia. Ooh. Another one I know very little about. Sounds great. No. <laughs> big white. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Locally known as Oconigan Champagne Powder for perfect, nice. fluffy, dry snowfalls frequently and abundantly on Big White Mountain, reaching upwards of 24.5 feet annually. If your powder legs aren't quite in shape, Big White Ski Resort's grooming fleet serves up plenty of flawless corduroy on which to practice your turns. Canada's Ooh. largest full ski and ski out village is just 45 minutes from Kelowna, Kelowna International Airport. Families love that once you arrive, every amenity and experience you desire is a short ski away. From nearly 20 on-mountain restaurants and bars to dog sledding, horse-drawn sleigh rides, and ice skating on Canada's highest outdoor skating rink. This place sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, and the resort's popular awesome. night skiing program is back for 23-24, which provides the most extensive night skiing terrain in Western Canada. Boom. That's very cool. They also have right, on-mountain Sundance cabins. To offer ski and ski access and private hot tubs. Mm, private That's hot tubs. Sweet. That's pretty nice. All right, number five. We're actually just talking before the podcast about making a trip there. Aspen Mountain, Colorado. So, oh, no, Lloyd, the French are assholes. <laughs> That's right. So they say, while Aspen Mountain's only one-fourth the size of Snowmath with, without a single beginner run, it's beloved by intermediate and advanced skiers who love 
who love it and say it skis like a much bigger mountain once you know its secrets. They're saying there's a, uh, the new Heroes Terrain expansion for a significant addition to Aspen Mountain since the opening of the Silver Queen Gondola in 1985 increases the skiable acreage by more than 20%. They got new high-speed quad chairlifts, more than 150 acres of challenging new runs. They're saying it's legendary. It's got a lot of cool opera scenes. Uh, one of the things they note in here is the famed Montauk Fame Surf Lodge, the Aspen X Beach Club, and they have the St. Regis Hotel there. Oh, and they have oatmeal pancakes at Bonnie's on the mountain. So, Look at that. Uh, very cool. Ho- I know we've had the Corbett's, uh, Corbett's Cabin uh, waffles. That was pretty fun. Yes. Right before but, we, yeah. uh, we front flipped into Corbett's, obviously. Front flip. Front flip and back flip. Brian did the back flip, I did the front flip. That's how we roll. Yeah. And then your wife did the the jelly roll, right? She did. It was impressive. It was impressive. Very impressive. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Number four. Back to the East Coast. Smuggler's Notch in Vermont. The Notch. In an age of resort conglomerates, Smugs, as it's lovingly known, remains defiantly independent. Family forward service, fantastic ski school, and three mountains with uncrowded terrain suited to all experience levels, make up for the resort's old-school lift system. If you think the East doesn't have challenging terrain, test your metal on the Mm. resort's 750 acres of gladed terrain or the steeps of Madonna Mountain, the highest vertical drop in northern Vermont at 2,610 feet. When your legs are shot, head to Apare at the Black Bear Tavern in the Madonna Base Lodge for a pint of the resort's signature Prohibition Ale brewed by Long Trail Brewing. Family fun is endless with activities ranging from snowshoeing and tubing to cross-country skiing and ice skating. I will tell you, this is one of the ones that's on the list for the family to get up to because, again, it's it's got a lot of it's it's extremely family oriented. If that's what you're looking for, and you're in that area, it's it's no brainer. Always Very wins cool. like best family resort. So, Smugs is doing hmm. something right. Smugs is good. It's got a nice little local following too. Yeah. All right, number three, moving right along to the top ones. We got Deer Valley, Utah. So Deer Valley. One of three ski-only resorts in the country. Deer Valley is made for families who love to ski together and skiing in general. So And who aren't um, poor. Who are not poor, that's right. The resort, <laughs> your wishes, our command, customer service is worth the splurge. That's what people say. Uh, I've never been there. Still have not been gone there well, we, went there. From the... we went there together but we didn't ski because it was raining that day yes it was we hung out correct. at the stein erickson lodge trying to seem important yeah we kind of walked around we're like yeah this is we can't ski this is unskiable today mm-hmm. but that was our and the next day was pretty awesome though i gotta say yes, that is um, true. but uh they're they're doing some expansions they said this uh, making the ski runs even bigger. Look at massive you know, expansion because they picked up that whole Mayflower resort. Yeah. They bought. So they're almost doubling their terrain. Almost 3,000 acres more of skiable terrain in the coming years Crazy. with nine new chairlifts and 110 new ski runs. So it's going to be enormous. Yeah. They're saying winter 2025 26. Uh, my property. There you go. They're saying world-class dining, exceptional skiing, got to make reservations at at all these fancy places. Yeah, uh, definitely not your rustic ski town, but... Uh, it is not Smugs. 
not smart. Not smart. Yeah, but still up there. So that's that's on the list as well. Number two, Whistler back home. It is a favorite. Largest destination ski resort in North America, known for its unmatched big mountain skiing and snowboarding. 8,171 acres of skiable terrain, including 16 alpine bowls and three glaciers. Easily enough mountain to keep you on new runs throughout the entire six-month regular season. They had some crazy lines there during Christmas week. I don't know if you saw any of those Instagram videos, but absolutely yeah. insane on a powder day how much the uh, the, the lines were. It was, it was pretty bonkers. And we've been there a few times, and that is a dope-ass mountain, I got to say. It's a fun spot, yeah. Uh, their yeah. apres skiing is legend, just as legendary as the slopes. Roundhouse Umbrella Bar is the hot spot on the slopes. In the village, head to the Garibaldi Lift Company. We've been there several times. We the French there. dip is delicious. Yes, the, we had that. I yeah. <laughs> love the French dip. Wild Blue Restaurant and Bar is excellent. Sustainable seafood spot. Where to stay? The Fairmont. If you're going to do it right, you stay at the Fairmont. Their steakhouse there is also tremendous. We ate there a couple times. We did enjoy a nice steak there. That was yeah. uh, definitely a nice, fancy experience. And we got to see some douchebag trying to say that he's always there. He has reservations. So it was nice to see him get turned away. Yeah, if you want to see if you want to <laughs> see some assholes in motion, that's uh, that's a good place to find them. And also, too. But I love it because the Fairmont, they don't give a shit. They're like, yeah, you know, we have a lot more people with a lot more money staying at this hotel. You, you could fucking wait. <laughs> And fun story, our our buddy Nick, shout out to our buddy Nick, he saw Rob Lowe at the steakhouse there at the Fairmont nice. several years ago. I like that. I like Rob Lowe. So there you go. Young well, boy. Was, well, apparently he was a dickhead, according to Nick. So Hey, you know, people being people. People being <laughs> Hey Rob's gotta Rob's gotta pay the bills, you know. He's gotta find a gotta find a uh, a role for Chad Lowe. You know. If you're not a dick how do you know that you're that important and famous, right? Like you kind of have to be. You are what you eat. That's right. You are what you eat. <laughs> Boom. Well said. <laughs> and that, that was the night that Rob had tube steak. <laughs> A-O. <laughs> it was on the menu. It was on the menu and it was raw. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number, number one. one. <laughs> number one, I still have not been there. I don't know if you've been there either. I don't think you have. Snowmass, Colorado. So the most expansive of Aspen Snowmass's four mountains has the most lift serve vertical feet of terrain in the U.S. with 4,406 foot elevation drop and enough variation to make it all around hit with the families. Investments in the base village have turned into a social hub complete with ice skating rink, great dinner venues. Uh, There's on-mountain dining, which rivals what you'd find in Europe. I don't know about that. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Settle um, down. Settle down. Slow right? your roll, bro. <laughs> They're saying Sam's, which is, you know, I guess one of the places up there, transport skiers to the Italian Dolomites with a menu featuring rigatoni bolognese and Negroni spritzers. I've been there. I don't know if it's going to be quite the same, but uh, anyway, while the new Alpen room takes its cues from the Alps with dishes such as schnitzel and Tartiflette. I have no idea what that is. Tartiflette. I got to look that up now. Let's see what that is. What am I missing out on eating? <laughs> but they're saying they got, you know, a Weston, which did it, you know, multi-million dollars. Sure, right? 
Savory, it's a savory dish from Savoy in the French Alps. It is made Look with potatoes, reblochon cheese, lardons, and onions. So it's not uh-huh. mushroomy. I would have thought mushroom related, but what do I know? But I'm it's like a tart, tart de flit or whatever. Nah, it's it's onions, potatoes, and cheese. Yeah, it's a, it's a veggie tart. So Way it's to like, go. It's like potatoes or gratin, pretty much. So they got a lot of baller hotels. They say they have the state's highest indoor climbing wall, which I guess you'd want to do while you're skiing. Um, <laughs> I did a climbing wall last year uh, at the resort. That was kind of fun. It was something to do. I was gassed. It was not not fun, uh, but <laughs> it was fun, but not fun. <laughs> but it was fun, there. You know what I mean? so it was there. there. So I was like, I got to do it. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. So, Snowmass, I've heard a lot of good things about. I've just never been there. I don't know. There's always other stuff that seems to catch my attention. So, well, may have to put sp- that on the top of the list. The spot I want to go to if we do go to Aspen. That is the mm. spot. And I want to go to the goddamn Woody Creek Tavern. That's the only spot I want to go to because that is where Hunter S. Thompson, you said, just hang out every day and just drink and smoke and write and just be Hunter S. Thompson. Nice. It's only about four miles, I think, from from Snowmass. Huh. All right. He was almost the goddamn Ooh. sheriff. Almost the visit sheriff. The yeah. yeah. Go visit that, all his places and all the Hemingways, right? Just add him in there. That's kind of... Sets it all straight. He he used to party with um rest in peace Jimmy Buffett out in Aspen back in the seventies. And apparently Hunter he reached out to someone and was like, Hey, Jimmy's a little out of control. (laughs) And when Hunter S. Thompson tells you you're a little out of control, you might be a little out of control. That's pretty fucked up. That's pretty awesome. That's a legendary story then. Yep. Man, that was some ass party. Yep. (laughs) What, was it? what would Jimmy Buffett do? Of, uh, right. You're in Loathing. You're just outside of Barstow when the acid kicked in or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, that's got to be one hell of a one hell of a cocaine's a hell of a drug. Um, we were somewhere yeah, around. Around, we were somewhere around Barstow on the edge of the desert when the drugs began to take hold. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Uh, I don't make them like that anymore. That was a good little rating thing. You got to take it with a grain of salt because it is kind of nest and it is their reader review. So you got you know, like to think about what is a Condé Nast reader? What is a Condé Nast reader? I don't know if I identify with the crowd that reads Condé Nast. Just, I don't know. I get their emails all the time. I do look at their stuff. So I'm more of I a, like it. I'm more of a beef magazine kind of guy. <laughs> I can't, I gotta sign up for for like email updates I'm from Beef Magazine. <laughs> I start getting Beef Magazine. My wife sees it. She's like, "What the fuck are you getting?" Like, Do we have to, we have to have a talk? No, no, What's going no. on? It's about beef, like real beef. Oh, real beef. Not like it's not something else. Trust me. Oh, <laughs> uh, really? Yeah, it's just meat gets delivered to my inbox every day, baby. Like that's the kind of like, I want to combine what Powder Magazine used to be and what Beef Magazine is, and that's that's I'm the target demographic for that. Powdered beef, powdered beef, or beef powder. Well, there you go. Number one, Snowmass, Colorado. Congratulations. <laughs> what would be what would be the Beef Magazine ranking? That's what I would know. Right. Right. All they 
here are the here's the best beef provided to these mountains. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, I would want to know that. I mean, if there was skiing in Texas, it'd be number one because Beef Magazine, right there. That could be an angle to make Beef Magazine one of the top magazines in the country. Yeah, come with their beef, um, you know, rankings of best cities to eat beef. All right. Yeah. I like it. Maybe we, maybe we could talk to uh, Sam about that. Maybe we could. Which best is beef the on perfect. That's a beautiful segue into our <laughs> our main topic. So if you can remember. A million weeks ago, when we released part one of the interview, we chatted with our friend, Sam Weintraub, who is the CEO and founder of peakrankings.com. And a great guy. And a very good guy. So just to give you a little kind of crossover imagination from the last story to the main topic here, chat with Sam. So he ranked for Colorado resorts Vale number one actually tied. I mean, they were technically they were tied, hmm. but somehow Vale got the number one. They both had 78s. Vale and Snowmass. So we didn't even mention Vale in the top 10 of Condé Nast. Do you know why? Because it came in 20th. Hmm. Boom. And Sam ranked Telluride fourth. And I think Telluride was either hmm. 11 or 12 on the Condé Nast rankings. Now, Sam's rankings are a little more ski and snow focused. Not so much what your, uh, your typical Condé Nast reader is going to have most of their focus on. So it's, I like seeing the differences here because you can really, just by going through the list, not even need to know what a con, you can figure out what a Condé Nast reader is just looking at the list. So you can look at Sam's list and you can see too, looking at his pros and cons, what he's talking about. He's talking about very specific things to skiers, which is nice. Mm, yeah. But I do like seeing the different kinds of lists because again, you can, you see enough of these lists, you can really zone into who's got the same vibe, things you're looking out for as yourself. So you can see what works best for you. You heard the first part. You loved it. Here we go. With the second part, our chat. Sam Weintraub. Yeah, no, it, it all depends on the mountain. Cause like, you know, if you're honestly like doing the mountain, right. You might not even want to pray. Like you, you want to save your energy to do the hike the next day. Right. Like hike up baldy shoots. Then maybe if the conditions are good enough, you can go in a hike up pipeline as well. Have you guys ever done that? I have not no. done that. Okay. It's on my bucket list too. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, it's been yeah. a it's been a hot minute since we were out in Utah. I was to the Snowbird and an Alta section. But yeah. I only went we only went once. Yeah, I've only been out there twice, but uh trying to get out there again. Again, every year it's always I'm gonna get yeah. out there and then it's you know, there's just so many you wonderful spots and you look at the rankings and you go, I haven't been here, I gotta go here, I gotta go there. I actually just watched I don't know if you've seen that um the documentary on Netflix about the Alpine Meadows Avalanche in nineteen eighty two. Mm. I think it just mm. recently came out. It. It's amazing and horrifying at the same time. Like it's oh, yeah. it's it's definitely worth checking out. I didn't know the whole history of it. Like obviously, and you know, all mm-hmm. I know is like, oh, they just connected Alpine Meadow and Squad and Palisades. Mm-hmm. Now this big Palisade Tahoe, you know, happy happy place. But you watch this, you're like, holy crap! Number one, being ski patrol or a ski bum in the late seventies in Lake Tahoe was the shit that was like the best time to be 
it, probably mm. in human history to be alive late Hot 70s dog the movie. 80s in Lake Tahoe and I mean that's uh, but also when things go bad things go really 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 bad so Very definitely bad. worth checking out right. great documentary I've got the yeah I'll definitely check it out um nice. I've like heard of it but it just came out like a maybe a week or two mm. ago so I don't know if I told you guys this, but I actually lived in Tahoe during the pandemic. So yeah, he oh, during that. the pandemic, just a few years ago. Yeah. So um, I got a lot of local stories about the avalanche, like very, very oh, wow. just vague snippets. I, I don't remember that much about it. I, I know like the general synopsis of what happens, but I'm very interested to watch this documentary to get like a more in-depth, um, you know, peak because the way that Alpine Meadows is set up now is actually very heavily influenced by what happened with that avalanche. Yeah, like the, it's called the, buried. Yeah, That's I'll definitely, I'll definitely have to check it out. That is a, it is a horrifying but also fascinating event that has happened in Tahoe history. Yeah, they got mm. 90 inches of snow in four days. Wow. It was like end of the season. Like I think it was March 31st. Yeah. And it's, I, I mean... You know the movie The Perfect Storm? Like it's pretty much that in the snow. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's yeah. it's unreal. Yeah. Mm. Um I think actually like going back to Tahoe this past winter, um, I'm sure you guys probably paid a little bit of attention to it, but like they had so many insane storms of that magnitude <laughs> this March. Um truly mm. tr- tr- unbelievable. I was I was there. I unfortunately was trying to do a 10-day trip um and ended up having only four hours to ski the entire time I was there. Oh, um, yeah. it was just so snowy. Like everything was closed. Um, but I think like <sighs> part of that Too much is, snow. it's, it's so it's, it's like, it sounds like the opposite of too good to be true, but like, yeah. right. it, it's really just, it's so, so bad. Snowmageddon. Um, like we weren't sure whether we were going to lose power um, we didn't know whether we'd be stuck inside our Airbnb for, it was me and one other friend. So we didn't know what, whether we were going to be stuck in our Airbnb with no way to get out, which by the way, was a single room for four days. Um, wow. and then like we the shining. <laughs> no, the shining, the shining had a whole hotel, which by the way, the facade of that was the Timberline Lodge hotel in Oregon, which you guys should go stay at at some point it's completely amazing um but i um i did say i wasn't going to plug any hotels or resorts but that's for different reasons it's pretty it's pretty cool um but i think like the the thing about um you know the the way that what happened in march reminds me of the buried documentary is the fact that there was so much avalanche mitigation work that was going on at those resorts. Um, and I think they, they were really, really conservative with their openings. Like um, a lot of the resorts either didn't open or only opened like very small parts of their footprint um, during those particularly crazy storms. So like Palisades, their red dog lift was like the only lift open one of the days we were there. Um, and it was only open. They, they might've closed um, early because of the storm. Um, but I think because of like, you know, the lesson, the lessons they learned from the avalanche in the eighties, um, that could influence like the mitigation and 
safety precautions they have in place today. Yeah. And they were saying too, that, you know, I'm not going to talk too much about it because you guys definitely need to check it out, but they said that was one of the first places that actually had like an avalanche forecaster and, and they put these like, you know, these um, mm-hmm. sheets together, documenting mm-hmm. everything that they were, you know, encountering mm-hmm. just so they could be ready. Because as you said, the way everything was shaped in it, it was just almost like setting themselves up. If something did happen for a disaster mm-hmm. and kind of learning mm-hmm. from that eventually. Yeah. Yeah. It's truly like, it's tragic that that happened, but it really set the stage for a lot of investments in the future. And like, I'm not going to talk about it anymore because I might be getting into the topic of the documentary, but um, <sighs> I'm definitely, I'm definitely excited to watch it. Yeah, it's cool. And, uh, you know, they talk about a lot of the, the ammunition, the dynamite they used. And there's another cool documentary out from Ski Utah called The Last Gunners. But they're showing like this, is, you know, kind of the last group of folks that's using the artillery because they're using all the, the different. Um, mm-hmm. What is it? The the signal thing that they're using now. Uh, I can't remember. What it's Are they using like the, uh, the yeah. sonic? It's like a the, the World sonic. War II ar- artillery or artillery. And they're they're actually. I believe solitude, at least um, I think a couple other resorts might be as well, but they're actually replacing those with like much more modern, like avalanche mitigation tools this year. Yeah. Alpha is a big one too. That one they're they're using it. They're, they've stopped using mm-hmm. that, that stuff on too. Uh, yeah. There's a, a quick little yeah, the documentary is about Alta and you know, talking mm. about last year, how they had all those, you know, all that issues up on the little cotton yeah. and all the avalanche problems. So yeah, they're talking about the, the new technology that they're using, and it's in this documentary. Uh, no longer using howitzers, unfortunately. Which, mm-hmm. as someone you know, as a young man who loved explosives, and as an mm. older young man who still likes explosives, it's it's kind of sad in a way. Well, they're probably on the market. That's oh, you have your own personal avalanche mitigation device. This is not a oh, this dear. is not a cannon, honey. This is an avalanche mitigation device. There you go. Hey, you gotta I mean, save it just for those days when when the other stuff isn't working. You break out the guns, break out the big guns. Yeah, yeah. yeah Mario. What twists. if it like makes it? What in an avalanche? What if an avalanche makes its way to Florida? You got to be prepared. Oh, I got to be prepared. This is what I'm stocking up now. <laughs> yeah, I'll be the cat. guy you call up. Like, Mary, can you come up here? Like, bring the big gun. Like, we have an avalanche that we can't clear. You got a snowcat and a howitzer. I mean, you guys are overdue for one, right? Be like the A team, just fly in on the helicopters. Get some avalanche, get some. Just make it happen. So you also mentioned too, while you were at Cornell, trip planning. Now, do you guys still offer trip planning packages now? Yeah, so I'll I'll get a little bit into that. So, um, I actually I hate to do this, but I got to like go back a little bit in time before getting into the trip planning stuff. Um, so we had this website it was around March or April, 2020 website was up. Um, we actually ended up deprecating the first website because building a website from scratch was a terrible, not only SEO play, but just like play for mobile. Um, and then we realized, oh, there are actual content management systems where you don't have to build this stuff from scratch. Um, like once we realized it, it was such a no brainer, but in like, two or three weeks, we rebuilt the website in Squarespace, um, which is actually why we're having so many issues with like adding filters to our rankings now. Um, But like at the time it was a game changer. 
Um, so we basically had this website and we were trying to figure out how to grow like our following. And we were like, okay, let's just take all the ideas that we have for growth and just throw them at a wall and see what sticks. So at the time we started like going really aggressively on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, um, writing articles in a way that were designed to get attention, attention, like mainly picking up things that other people weren't covering. Um, so like, for example, like Vail deciding to get rid of trail maps, which we actually had to correct. Unfortunately, like we said, they asked all of their trail maps, but it turned out they did have trail maps. If you went up to the um, window and they had them in like very limited availability, but like we were reported on that. We got like some traction from that. Um, we also got some traction from reporting on fast tracks. So that was like Killington Copper, Mount Bachelor, um, and Snowbird, Snowbird. like yeah. basically allowing people to skip the lines by paying. So we, we wrote an yeah, article on that. That one went actually really um, got a, a, a ton of traction. Um, nice. And then kind of we realized, okay, this is cool, but we're still only getting about like, 6,000 unique visitors a month. Um, so we, we kind of need to do something a little bit more um, substantial in order to try to grow the audience. Um, and the other thing was I noticed people weren't reading the reviews. The reviews were literally just text. That was it. Hmm. No, no visuals, nothing like that. No one was reading the reviews. People were just reading these really clickbaity articles. Um, <laughs> but I was like, okay, these are high quality reviews and we put a lot of effort into them. So yeah, people why, was coming for the garbage. It's like making a nice fancy dinner and everyone's just picking out on chips and salsa. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And like, we're, we're like, the okay, there, there's a huge <laughs> opportunity here. There's like a huge opportunity. And I think what we needed to do was we, we were brand new. We had like, we didn't get any funding or anything like that. Um, and like, we had like no way to put ourselves out there except organically. So we were like, okay, why don't we try YouTube? And in this case, we'll literally just re we'll literally record a voiceover of our like scripts of, of literally the um, essays we've written for all these mountains. Then we'll just put up like corresponding clips that show exactly what we're talking about. Um, and YouTube like immediately became not immediately, but like pretty quickly, it became clear that was already the biggest channel I think within the first month, we already had more views on YouTube than we did on our, our entire website. Um, wow. So after that, we kind of realized like, okay, YouTube is a really critical way to, to grow this. Um, we need to like start making content that's more specific to YouTube. Um, we, I specifically went out and just tried posting like at least twice a week. So I would go like and do a point of view run at like North Star or Kirkwood or Squaw Valley at the time because I, I lived in Tahoe. So I was like, okay, this is the one thing I can take advantage of by living here during the pandemic. Just get as much content out as possible. Um, like the the point of view videos didn't do super well, but then the mountain review vid videos, which at the time took a ton of time to put together because I was doing most of the editing um, I didn't know what I was doing. So I was just figuring it out all in iMovie, which like, I, I just cringe at the fact that I was doing this all in iMovie for way longer than I should have. Um, 
and like it just eventually like people were just finding these videos through YouTube search. Um, and the, the one that really took off at first was Kirkwood um, because no one else had any video reviews of Kirkwood. Um, so like if you went into YouTube search, we were probably like third or fourth within the first month. Um, wow. And so like the video was, I mean, the video was fine. It was like, whatever, but it was pretty honest and it wasn't sugarcoated. And I think just having that was like for the people who are willing to bear through like the terrible audio quality. And I, I do apologize to the people who are, um, you know, watching this now because we haven't redone our Kirkwood review. Um, although we are going to start redoing some of our older video reviews um, at some point this year. But like, I think the fact that they just existed, like no one else was doing it, even even more than no one else was doing like ski resort rankings on a website. Um, and so like, long story short, YouTube became like, not only like a, a very primary source of our growth, but ultimately became like our number one revenue stream. And as of right now, like the whole reason I'm able to like do peak ratings full time is because of the YouTube AdSense revenue that the business gets. Um, wow. wow. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy what YouTube can do for you, but YouTube is also an incredibly fickle and stressful industry to be working in. Um, you can like put up a video, think it's going to like, blow up and then it'll completely flop the opposite can happen you can like put up a video that you're like okay i'm just gonna put this up because like i know my fans will like it then it'll suddenly like go viral you you never really know like you can do things to kind of plan for for that type of stuff but you never fully know um and i think as soon as like the capital from youtube started getting to the point where it made sense to maybe start investing in other things um like specifically me being able to take this full time. Um, the initial thing I started thinking was, okay, I need to figure out how to diversify this revenue so that YouTube is not the only way that peak rankings is making money. Um, there needs to be another way. Um, what if YouTube closes shop, like extremely unlikely, but what if like YouTube closes shop tomorrow, change the algorithm, or they change their algorithm or like they change their partner program. Like I could be completely screwed. And like, now that I have, you know, like some part-time employees working for me, I could completely screw those people over too. Like there needs, like as, as someone who's running a business, it, I, I need to be more responsible than that in order to like be like the, the steward of the long-term growth here. So the thing I, I started thinking was, okay, what will people actually pay for? How, how, how can I like get another source of revenue that's not dependent on social media? Um, and so the thing that I'd gotten a lot of feedback on was like, okay, you know, a lot of this stuff, um, we would potentially pay for you to plan our trips. Um, Hmm. and so that is essentially how peak rankings trips was born. Um, and that is our trip planning service where we will for a $99 deposit, which you will get back if you book your accommodation through us. We will plan every aspect of your trip, including, you know, your accommodation, your lodging, your lesson, your um, like flights, things like that. Um, And we're just trying to see like whether people will pay for it. Um, I don't think like this will be the pricing structure or, 
you know, like the way we'll do things forever in case you're listening to this like a year from now, we could have completely changed the model, but you right. need to start somewhere. Um, we have gotten bookings. So we know that some people are already interested, but I think like now that we're at the point where um, we've, we've had a couple people go through, we've had some people drop off, um, but we have had successful bookings and we're getting to the point where we know kind of what people want. We're learning about, you know, like how a person's budget corresponds to like how much they want to spend on what aspects of their trip. And honestly, like maybe one of the best parts about this is because like I specifically and some of the other people who I've like contracted out to kind of help with the reviews. um, I've been going to these mountains specifically to get as much video footage as possible for the last two years. So I've kind of like instinctively changed my travel habits compared to like the Mm -hmm. average person. So talking to these people on a daily basis and hearing what's actually important to them in terms of their trips is just such like a reality check whenever it comes to like, you know, what do people care about? Why are they trying to spend money here? Why do they care about this resort versus this resort? Um, What do large groups care about that small groups don't? What is like someone who wants a lesson like specifically um, going to need to plan for in terms of budget versus someone who doesn't? It's just all this stuff. Um, So we're offering our expertise and we're learning a lot from it. Um, I think, you know, given the limitations of only how much there's only so much content that we can put out to a general audience and tailor it to that audience. Like, I think what we've learned most of all is the best advice we can give. And honestly, the biggest, both quality and money saving tips we have given people have been after, you know, getting them on the phone um, or like, you know, learning a little bit more about their situation and being able to tell them, you know, like you should go to this mountain for this very specific, specific date because you have like this circumstance or you want to do this very specific thing. Um, So I think we've realized like, at least for me, I've been just specializing in reviewing ski resorts for four years. And there's much more that, you know, like me and the folks that I'm now working with can offer than just like putting up like rankings and reviews and um, like YouTube videos. Like I think one of the things we inadvertently did was we really, really hammered in on the quality of our content. Um, And that didn't even like occur to us as like that. I think that was just like a, at least for me, that was like, okay, you know what? That's just a standard. Like we're not going to like shell ourselves out um, because like, why would we do that? Like it it would would, get like, Oh, do you ever get any uh, resorts or, or ski mountains or anybody like give you crap for the rankings that you gave them? Um, yeah, a couple times I had, um, Loveland reach out once and they were, oh. they were not happy about the, um, resiliency score, maybe, maybe snow score we gave them. Um, they, they weren't happy that we like said their snow wasn't as good as like some of the other Colorado resorts, um, because their snow totals are the highest, but the huge problem with Loveland um, and it, it is a great resort if you go on a good day. But the, the huge problem with Loveland is that it is extremely wind exposed. And like, mm-hmm. I, I can't quote the exact acreage amount, but 
the um, percentage of the footprint that's above treeline is just so much higher than a lot of the other resorts in Colorado. Um, it's right on the continental divide. So there's nothing above it. Um, so it's mm-hmm. profoundly wind exposed and the bulk of the mountain, well, not the bulk of it, but like a very large percentage of it faces like South or East, um, which makes for not great snow retention. So you just have all mm-hmm. these factors that are working against it. If it hasn't snowed in the last few days. Um, and we've mm-hmm. been there on days when like, we've just skied over rocks and like the bowls are more like a skating rink than an actual ski resort. Um, wow. And it just, I don't know. It's like not Loveland's fault, but it's just kind of how it is. Um, and there's a reason why Loveland specifically hasn't, you know, transformed into a destination ski resort. Um, and there's just more than elevation or annual average snowfall totals um, that like make a ski resort a high quality place to like build out and attract a good group of people. Um, Breckenridge mm-hmm. honestly has the same problem to a certain extent, not to the same degree, but you know, they're Imperial Bowl, they're subject, that one is subject to closure too. Um, Breckenridge faces, a lot of it faces east. So, you know, like it's, in the, in the northeast, you have so few mountains that face anything other than north because like Mother Nature just won't let it happen. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, if you're in um, the West Coast, you have like those circumstances as well. Um, that's also like, I think part of the reason why a lot of northeast resorts don't have like back bowls. Um, cause you can really only face in like a handful of directions before the whole operation starts to fall apart. Mm. Yeah. And that's mm. We kind of talked about it before the, the official podcast started is that, you know, a lot of times the nice thing about rankings is that there is a winner and there is a loser. And unfortunately people don't like to lose. And perhaps like in this situation, it's not their fault. Like nature sort of, played them played their hand you know gave them a hand yeah. to play and they had to play it and you know you may you and all your people who go there may tell you how amazing it is but if you do break things down and you give it an honest you know you've honest objective criteria and it falls down towards the bottom that's just the way it is you know and again a lot of people mm-hmm. just are not used to criticism in that regard and that's why I think something like what you're doing is great because there is an objectivity to it. There's definitely some subjectivity. I mean, people always have a, there's always a, a yeah. personal. There's twist no way to do anything possible. objective. Right. Yeah. But well, you even at least you, have objective criteria to start with. Yeah. Even if you want to go to like, you know, you take the rankings and you say, I don't really care what it's ranked. I love this place. Right. And then you, you want to plan a trip there, right? Like, so you're having an experience where you're planning trips. Maybe it's not the best place to go, but you're going to try to book the best experience they can have at that place. Right. And it's kind of navigating mm-hmm. through the best of that area then, you know? Yeah, cool. exactly. Like when we get on the phone with people, we'll tell them like, Hey, you know what? This place isn't ranked that highly in these rankings, but for your specific circumstance, you should still go there. Like, for example, if someone wants like a specifically a ski town, and they want like the they want like family friendliness and like a good learning area and they want a childcare facility we'll recommend steamboat even though it's ranked i think it might be 11th in our colorado rankings mm-hmm. um it's also like off the i70 corridor so 
Um, you know, it's like not gonna, you're not gonna be dealing with quite as many like people in town, even if the lift setup, at least through last season, was had a, a number of flaws, but they, they are addressing a couple things this year. So I can't speak for people who are going this year. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, we'll we'll still like recommend places that we personally, you know, I personally wouldn't spend my money on um for my specific needs, but everyone's needs are different. Um, I think for the most part, ski resorts that are still in business are in business because people are enjoying them. Um, it's not like people who are spending $200 per day on these mountains every year are like doing it because they aren't like they're, they're not doing their due diligence. Like if, if Mm -hmm. they were having a terrible time at these mountains, they wouldn't be going back. Um, or if they are, it's probably because they're really convenient to like a major metropolitan area. Well, and we've all been part of it too. Like you, you think you're going to have the best time going to this resort and it's crap snow, right? Like yeah. it's just mother nature comes in and you could be going to one of the crummiest places on earth, but you get this powder dumping and that's what you're looking for. You're like, this is one of the best times I best ski times I ever had, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Like, I will actually say one of my best days at, like, a ski resort this winter was at Loveland. We got literally, like, this was April 1st. We got a 12-inch, like, straight up out of nowhere powder dump. And it was just, it just happened to be the day that we were going to get Loveland video review footage. So, nice. like, it Loveland, even, even though it didn't do that well in our rankings, they did luck out and we will be putting up a bunch of powder footage when that video comes out. Um, the, on the other hand, we went to Whistler twice this year and we spent five days. We did not have a single clear day the entire time we were there. You got to go with me. With Mario is the only person who's gone to Whistler and had sunny days almost every day. Bluebird days on three separate trips. The last time I went, it like rains. But before before I started peak rankings, like in February 2019, I spent an entire week at Whistler. It was pristine the entire time. See, but yeah, it, it's crazy. My um, first trip there, I remember we had I think five minutes of sun mm-hmm. in the whole week we were there. I know it's crazy. Um, so when when we started peak rankings, one of the other things I did was I just started calling locals. Um, literally I would just call ski shops and I'd be like, Hey, is this review accurate? And I would just ask them if they would be willing to like listen or read the review. Um, and like one of the reviews that we had to adjust a ton was Whistler because we ranked it too highly for snow because we, we got just such a good experience. (laughs) Um, so we, we didn't account for like how bad the rain and like visibility could actually be. Um, and how bad like the crowds could be like literally I, I have yeah. to admit, like, I don't think we actually got crowds right for Whistler until this season. Like if you go back to our rankings adjustments, you'll see we, we downgraded rankings, crowd flows, Whistler's crowd flow score by three points over the last three years. Um, oh, I think part of that is due to like actual trends since COVID, but part of it was we genuinely just did not get like Whistler's crowding. Right. Like we somehow, did not wait in any lines and we had bluebird powder days every day we were there. Um, hmm. But like, that's, that's not how a mountain that's an hour and a half from Vancouver is going to be. Even if it's yeah. 80, even if it's 8,100 acres. 
Well, that was like Tremblant. I went and I think it was a Friday. I went like Thursday, Friday, Saturday or something like that and Sunday. And I'll never forget Friday. Um, I heard these people talking and, and I guess they come up quite a bit and they were talking about how they're going to do all this other stuff the next day. And I'm like, you guys aren't going to ski like, Oh no, we never ski on the weekend. And I'm like, okay. And I think anything of it. And then I get out there on that Saturday and there was like an hour and a half line to get on the, on the gondola. It's like, yeah, holy crap. That is why nobody's skiing, you know? (laughs) Yeah. With Tremblant, like having done that trip for, I I basically did that trip four years in a row. Um, Oh, I think I got the brunt of the crowds every time I went. Um, but the, 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 the good thing is if you don't care about the cold, the North side is always less crowded, yeah. but every, everyone will just take the gondola. If it's like, you know, negative 17 degrees Celsius, which is like zero degrees Fahrenheit. Um, yeah. Cause like, I mean, there are two other ways to get up to the summit. Um, but you just don't want to take them. They're just like really undesirable and people <laughs> will, people yeah. will select it trim line. That's the one redeeming factor about it. So yeah, now um, cool. with the trip, so are you guys actually, do you offer trips now or is it just, are you planning them for yeah, groups? That is an excellent question. Um, we offer trips in a very limited fashion this year. Um, we are running a group trip to Utah from March 17th to March 23rd. It is currently completely full. Um, I will be giving a tour of, you know, just kind of how to do, um, you know, like the Salt Lake City area as a ski trip. Um, and then we'll probably have groups that are going to like Alta, Snowbird, Snow Basin, um, Brighton and Solitude. And I will probably be doing all of the hikes at all of those mountains and the people who want to follow me can come along. Um, but we're staying in a really sick house. We're going to like, it's going to be like a communal house. It's going to have a indoor pool, private, private pool, private sauna, um, game room. It's going to have two kitchens. It's going to be sick. Um, we're also going to like try to do a couple of like communal activities, but not necessarily just like, um, typical opera activities. Like obviously we might do like the steak dinner snowboard. Maybe we'll do that. Um, but I think we're going to honestly just stick to some of the salt Lake activities as well. Like we might go to a Utah jazz game or we might like do a hibachi dinner. Um, we're also literally just entirely by coincidence. And I only learned this because of the, um, snowbound expo to just tie everything back together. Um, the U S ski and snowboard hall of fame, like induction ceremony is actually going to be happening while we are there. So there's like a black tie gala. um, And I was thinking, okay, this might be kind of fun to go to. It's like, it's kind of in Park city, right? Yeah. It's, it's, but it's like 175 bucks. Um, You got to do the, the the dumb and dumber uh, tuxedos and go to that thing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like what other opportunity do you have to go to like a black tie gala for yeah. uh like powder balloon resorted thing it's it's a crazy opportunity and like some of my friend like the trip is going to be like um you know like 75 percent people i've never met in my life um cool. which is which is gonna be interesting it's gonna be like a um you know i'm hope 
I think my biggest worry is like, are people going to get along? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I do think because like um, people who like to ski tend to be pretty chill people. Um, I think we'll, we'll probably be good. And like, everyone's going to, mo- most of the people on the trip are going to be like advanced or experts. Um, the other 25% are just a couple of my friends who wanted to see what the trip would be like. Um, and those are also like the only people who are going on the trip who are like true beginners. So I'm very curious to see like what they think of like the ski scene. Um, and like whether they'll ever go on a trip like this again, <laughs> but you can have a live yeah. cam going from the house. You know, I think, I think it might be cool to like do, you know, some sort of vlog thing. Yeah. Um, Oh just yeah, like, you gotta. I think hyping hyping this stuff up for next season. Like the the goal is like if this does well, um, I'm next week to, Urban Ski Week. That's what you do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm happy to lead. If this goes well, I'm happy to lead like one of these a year. Um, but you know, it's it's possible that if people really like this, that it might be a good idea. This might be guided ski trips might be a better idea to expand into than just like doing um like these trip planning itineraries. Um, yeah. You know, we, we don't know. We, we got to throw things at a wall and see what sticks. Just like when we started YouTube, like we had no idea if that was going to take off or not. Like we gave it just as much of a chance as we gave to like Instagram and Twitter um, and mm-hmm. th- those types of things. Like t- TikTok is the one thing that pro- we actually probably should still invest more time into. But like in terms of, you know, like social media, that's one thing in terms of trip planning. That's another thing. Um, so we're looking into, you know, all the options we can feasibly take on without overextending ourselves. Um, mm. But I do think there is a market both for guided and non-guided trip planning. And we'll see how it goes. Yeah, cool. one of our first uh, you know forays into the ski world was through uh, our local ski club. And that's where kind of Mario and I went on a bunch of our, our first epic you know, European trips and out West was yeah. with the, the Hoboken ski club. And, you know, we were still in contact with a, a bunch of folks from there. And, you know, one of the guys who, who was our, you know, kind of trip got, trip leader for the Zermatt trip is like, Hey, if, if you ever mm-hmm. want to, you know, start setting up these little trips, like I can help you get these started because I have the expertise. And it's something we've, we've thought about a lot too, is like, how do we, yeah. Like imagine just getting like a group of, you know, 10 or 20 people and, yeah. and doing like, uh, like 2024. Yeah. Like that's what we, like, people have been asking that. Like that would be, that would be like a really Ski-bum cool experience, ski-week. you know, like, yeah, yeah. Like, again, have, have a, again, you don't want it to be too big. So you want to actually have like FaceTime and be able to, you know, if you do want to go on like a, bit of a gnarly hike or something you want to be able to yeah not, yeah, not have exactly. be too crazy it's like oh we got we got 15 people coming mm-hmm. together it's like yeah this is yeah. not really that's nah, not gonna work ideal scenario yeah. but that that really i mean <clears throat> talk about like a bonding opportunity with you know listeners fans i mean that's that seems to be like the the ultimate for both hosts and for for fans to come together yeah, yeah. for sure for sure um it's also gonna be really interesting because like um i haven't met that many of like my quote-unquote like fans um <laughs> it's i think last time i bumped into someone who recognized me like was on the slopes in like maybe march or april and since then the channel has basically doubled in terms of viewership and um almost doubled in terms of subscribers so it's, it's gonna be interesting wow. nice. um to see like 
what people think of the Peak Rings brand when we go and we spend time with them in. You may get some groupies out of it. You never know. Groupies, stalkers. You, you get a mix of, you know, <laughs> we'll, see, of we'll, a mix. See. we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Beautiful. They say well, you never really made it until, unless you get a stalker, right? <laughs> oh, Is that man. what they say? Well, Sam, if if people do want to become fans and or stalkers, how do they find you? Yes, that is an excellent question. So um, peakrankings.com, go and check out independent Alpine ratings and reviews of over 90 North American ski resorts. Um, You can also check out our YouTube channel. You can check out our Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And then we also have... Um, you know, our trip planning service. So if you're interested in booking a trip with us, um, you know, the flow may have changed since the recording, but um, go to peakrankings.com slash trips and we'll have all the information about how we can book the best possible ski trip for you. Excellent. Cool. Well, Sam, thank you so much for your time and uh, good luck and continued success with Peak Rankings. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks Brian. Thanks, Mario. Really appreciate it. Uh, our pleasure. We'll talk soon. Take care. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We'll have all the list of links. You can get all of the info at skibumpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. Send us an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. If you want stickers, you want to make comments, you can do all that. Follow us on the socials, X, Instagram, Facebook, untapped youtube we are at ski bomb podcast go to our patreon support us <clears throat> patreon.com ski bomb podcast join us be one of us help us out we'd appreciate that need some gear to work out 10,000.cc go there get some gear use the code b schneider 15 15 off thank you again so much for listening we do appreciate it and we'll talk to you guys next week say hi stay fluid see ya